This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I've been a little under the weather the past couple days and I texted Clint yesterday morning. I'm like, man, I don't know if I got the voice for this. Can I just condense this down to like 10, 15 minutes and call it a day? And he's like, yeah, sure, no big deal. So I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And then I, I called my mom and dad last night and I'm, I'm telling them my plan. I'm like, I think I'm going to just kind of condense it down, keep it short, 10, 15 minutes. My mom looks at me, she's like, when have you ever talked about anything for less than 30 minutes? And you know, she's, she's right, I'm chatty. So we'll see what happens. You might get the condensed version, you might get the regular version, but I hope you enjoy the study this morning. I hope it's helpful for you. I hope it's encouraging. We're going to talk about peace this morning. We talk a lot about peace with other people, your, your peace in your, your interactions, your relationships. Uh, Dwayne opened us up this morning talking about Israel and the lack of peace that they have and also the gratitude that we should have because of the abundant peace that we have. I mean, we, we've been blessed to live in a nation that's experienced peace for longer than, than many other nations have ever experienced in the existence of you know, their established nation. We, we've experienced a lot of peace. We've been blessed in that area. But then at the same time, we have the, the highest rates of anxiety and depression and suicide and, and all these other factors showing a lack of internal peace in spite of the abundance of external peace. And that's what I want to focus on this morning is the internal peace. And I made this study originally, it's probably been about a year ago, because I don't have a lot of internal peace. I, I stress out about stuff, and I overthink things, and I make assumptions about what other people think about me. And I, I think that everything I do, every mistake I make, has to say something about me fundamentally as a person. And so I worry about stuff a lot. And guess what? That, that still hasn't changed. I still worry about stuff a lot. I still have a, a lack of internal peace. Well, God's got the answer for, for internal peace and the lack thereof. God's got the answer for anxiety and depression. God's got the answer for these struggles with finding internal peace. And I hope we can discover some of those answers in our study this morning. I want to start off by just kind of looking at what peace really is and the two different kinds of peace uh, in the Webster Dictionary, it's defined as a state of tranquility or quiet, such as freedom from civil disturbance, a state of security or order within a community provided for by law or custom. And then the final definition is the one that we want to focus on this morning, which is freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. So again, we're focusing internally this morning. We're focusing on our peace of mind, our internal peace. But one thing that I want to point out at the beginning of this study is we have these two different definitions of what peace is. We've got external peace and we've got internal peace in the definitions that we see on the screen here this morning. And a lot of people think that these are mutually exclusive. You're either going to have neither of them or you're going to have both of them. That if you don't have peace with other people, there's no way you can have peace inside. But that's simply not the case. Uh, when I was looking at some, some passages for this study, it talks about when Jesus was born... They say, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So Christ's coming was supposed to bring peace on earth. But then he says later on, I'm not here to bring peace, but a sword. Well, how do you, how do you reconcile those? Those, those two uh, statements seem to be at odds with each other. But Christ is saying, look, I'm, I'm here to bring you peace. You can have peace with God. You can have internal peace. 
But that doesn't always mean that you're going to have peace with the people around you. And sometimes that internal peace and that peace with God, seeking that peace with God, is the very thing that causes conflict with other people. So I think we need to, to make that explanation before we start our study this morning so that we understand these two definitions of peace and how they relate to one another. Is that they don't have to come together and we have them both or we don't have either. We can have internal peace without having peace with those around us. And the Bible tells us that we should, as much as lies within you, as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. But that comes with the caveat that eventually it's not possible. It's not possible for you to maintain your integrity in your relationship with God, keep your peace with God, and maintain your peace with the people around you. There, there comes a point where you just can't have both. And God understands that. So we need to understand that about these two different sides of peace as we approach this pursuit of internal peace this morning. We need to also understand that peace is realistic. People talk a lot about the, the people, you know, just deniers. And a lot of the people that like to spread conspiracy theories look at the people that are, are content and they're peaceful and they're comfortable and they feel like everything's okay and they're like, man, you're, you're just a denier. The world's just crumbling all around you and, you, and you, won't, you won't look up, you won't pull your head out of the sand and see what's actually going on. Well, is that the case or is, or is peace real? Can peace be real? Can peace be invested in something that allows us to have true peace rather than us just denying the reality of the world crumbling? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 through 4, it says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And then verse 11 says, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. In this passage, Paul draws this comparison, this contrast, between two separate groups of people, the people that are in the darkness and the people that are in the light. And he says, we all know that Jesus is coming. And there's a certain group of people, those people in the darkness, and they say, peace and safety, we're all good. We, we, we have it under control, we're fine. Jesus can come back, we'll be just fine. But then he says, those are the people that are going to be caught unawares, that won't be expecting when Jesus comes back and they're not going to be prepared. Those are the deniers. Those are the people that they have a problem that they need to address, but they're not doing it. They just say, oh, peace and safety, we're all fine. I'm just blessed, life's beautiful, we're all fine. And they're not fine. In them trying to be positive and just uh, have this positive outlook on life, they're overlooking the error of their ways. They're overlooking the things that they actually need to change. But he says, don't worry, because you're not one of those people. He's talking to the Thessalonians in this passage, the, the Christians at Thessalonica. And he says, you're not one of these people that's in the darkness and just denying the reality of coming judgment. You're in the light. So comfort each other. Comfort each other with these words. Comfort each other with the knowledge that you're in the light. You're on the right side of God. You have this positive relationship with God. So you have an opportunity for internal peace that these other people don't have. And when they say peace and safety, that's not true peace. But the peace that you have with God is true peace. Because you've reconciled that relationship with God you're on the right side of God, and when Jesus comes back, you actually will be ready. So just saying peace and safety is not enough. We can be deniers of the very real fact that there's a lot of issues in the world, and that Jesus is coming back, and he's going he's gonna to judge those who haven't followed him. We can deny that and just say peace and safety, and it's all going to be just fine. But we can also have real peace 
that's based in reality, that's based in truth, that's based in facts, and that's not naive. And that's the, the, the peace that we're seeking this morning. There's a lot of obstacles to our peace, and we see that as we go through our daily life. Uh, you know, I talked about the rising rates and this just skyrocketing rate of depression and anxiety and suicidal ideology. And, you know, there's, there's various things that will push us to that point. We, we do face various struggles in this life that we don't really know how to handle. So I want to look at some of those issues, some of those things that can push us out of a position of internal peace, that can take away that peace within us, and then see how we can solve some of these issues. Guilt and shame can be one of the greatest things that can take away our peace. And in Psalms 32, verse 3 through 5, we see David struggling with this conflict within himself. Psalm 32, verse 3 through 5, he says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. I've always kind of uh, chuckled a little bit at, at David's, what I would deem to be dramatic expressions of how he feels about certain things. You know, there's, there's Psalms where he says he just, he drowns his couch with his tears, and in this passage, he's talking about just like, just how, how bad he felt. He's like, I just, I shriveled up. I wasted away. I, I felt old. My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. It sounds kind of dramatic. But have you ever been in that position where you did something that you knew was wrong or you made a mistake? Maybe, maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe it was legitimately just a mistake. We just had to sit on it all day. And you know you're going to have to tell somebody that you made that mistake. You know you're going to have to tell somebody that you did something wrong, whether it was on purpose or not. And that will just eat you up. I feel like you're growing old before your time. It'll, it'll really break you down mentally and physically to have to deal with that kind of guilt and shame for a whole day waiting to, to tell somebody. And then once you get it off your chest, you feel so much better. That's what David's saying in this passage. He says, once I told you, once I confessed my sins to God, I knew I was forgiven. God is, God is faithful and just to forgive. So David said, after all this dramatic talk about how he was just falling to pieces, he says, but then I confessed it to God. I got it off my conscience. I got things cleaned up, and it was all okay. Because God's faithful and just to forgive, and David knew that. So guilt and shame can really take away our joy and take away our peace and cause us to have a lot of internal conflict and a lot of worry about where we sit in our relationship with God, they can just totally take away that internal peace. But if we confess those things to God, if we get it out in the open and address it as it needs to be addressed rather than just sitting on it for the rest of our lives, hoping that maybe that guilt will go away, we can alleviate that, that issue of that guilt and shame and we can regain our peace with God. We see an example of this guilty conscience and how it takes away somebody's peace. In Genesis 42, verse 21, we see the example here of Joseph's brothers. And just to give a little bit of backstory, uh, most of you probably know the story of Joseph well, but his brothers sold him into slavery because of their jealousy, because their, their father loved him more than, than he loved the rest of his brothers. And so his brothers sold him off into slavery into Egypt. And then it had been years, maybe, maybe even a couple of decades and they come back to Egypt because there's a famine. And they come to get, get grain from Egypt. 
little do they know that Joseph is now the second in command of Egypt and Egypt has grain because of Joseph, because of his wisdom and planning. So they come to Egypt, they end up talking with Joseph, but they don't know him because he's changed so much through time and the, the cultural adjustment. He doesn't look anything like he used to. And so they don't know him. And then he starts to make things difficult for them because he knows who they are. And he's testing them. And he's trying to get the whole family to Egypt so he can see them all together again. And so he makes life difficult for his brothers. And that's when they start to ask these questions of why those things were happening in Genesis 42, 21. It says, Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Let's just assume it had been at least 10 years. I don't know the exact time frame, but let's just assume it had been at least 10 years since they had seen Joseph. And they come back to Egypt, and they say this. They say, it's, it's because we sold our brother to slavery that this bad stuff is happening to us. Do you think that was the first time in 10 years that they had said that? When something bad happened to them, do you think that was the first time they had ever said, you know, we, we deserve that one. We had that one coming. And it's because we sold our brother into slavery. You think it's the first time they had recounted in their minds, replayed the sounds of him pleading with them, crying to them, please don't do this. Do you think it was the first time they'd replayed those scenes in their mind? No way. This had eaten on them for years. And so then they come to Egypt, and again, something bad happens to them, and they say, it's because we sold our brother. Like, all of this is just exactly what we've had coming. Because we're, we're messed up. We're guilty. And they hadn't taken the opportunity to, to reconcile that. They hadn't come clean about that. They hadn't solved that issue in their minds. They were still struggling with the guilt and shame of that. And luckily, they got to have that reconciled with their brother shortly after this passage. But think about those moments where you have guilt weighing on your conscience, and you don't feel like there's any real way that you can fix it. I like to fix stuff. You know, if, if I mess something up with somebody and I, I do something in a relationship to hurt somebody else, I want to fix it. And sometimes you just, you just can't fix it. Sometimes you make mistakes you can't, you can't repair. And that's where that passage that we saw from David comes into play where he said, I came clean to God and I know that God forgives. And I was forgiven of that sin. So even if that person doesn't forgive me, even if I can't fix it, if I can't reconcile it with them, I'm still forgiven because I came clean to God and that's all he asked me to do. And so we can have peace of our, in our minds. We can have peace internally. When we come clean to God, we own those things and we reconcile ourselves to him, even if we can never really clean it up with the person that we, that we harmed. You know, Joseph's brothers couldn't, couldn't fix what they had done. They received his forgiveness, but they couldn't fix it. But they could still regain their peace of mind, regain their relationship with God by coming clean to Him and reconciling it in whatever way that they could. Anger and hatred can take away our peace of mind as well. And in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 4 through 6, it says, So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face, wouldn't eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. 
Ahab had asked Naboth for his vineyard because it was close to his house. He said, this is convenient. This is a nice piece of land. Give me this vineyard. I'll pay you back for it. I'll get you another vineyard that's just like it. I'll repay you. Just give me this vineyard. And Naboth says, this is my inheritance, man. Like, this, this is not just a piece of land. This has intrinsic value. This is like a family heirloom. He said, no, I'm not going to give you my vineyard. And then Ahab, and I have, I have mocked this dude in this passage many times before. He's like a little kid. He's like a toddler. He goes into his house. He lays on his bed. He turns his face to the wall. He won't look at anybody. He won't eat any food. He's, he's legit just pouting because he didn't get his way. He didn't get the vineyard that he wanted. I've made fun of him before for that. But do you ever have days where you just, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you were just cruising for bruising that day? You're just not about it. And you're looking for a reason to get ticked off at somebody. I, I have a lot of those days where I just wake up and I'm just, I am ready to be upset about something. And you know, you get, you get exactly what you're looking for. If you're looking for a reason to get mad, if you're looking for somebody to hurt you or do something to upset you, you're going to get it. You're going to get what you're looking for. And we have those days where we're just, we're ready to be upset. We're ready to be angry. We act like little kids. And we'll turn away from people and we'll give people the cold shoulder. Cora knows the face that I make when I'm just, I'm just eat up inside. It's usually about something stupid. And I told her the other day, I'm like, can you just like slap me when I make that face? Can you just like tell me to stop? Because I need somebody to snap me out of this. But we have those days, we have those, those feelings, those moods that we just can't seem to get out of. And sometimes it's over something little and pathetic. It's just we didn't get our way and now we're upset and I'm just going to whine about it indefinitely until somebody else fixes it. We have those days where we're just, we're ready to be angry. And that takes away our peace. That takes away any hope of internal peace that we could possibly have because we're looking for something to be mad about. Again, you're, you're going to find what you're looking for. If you're looking for something to not go your way, you're going to find something that doesn't go your way. But if you're looking for things to go your way, and if you're under the assumption that the world is conspiring in your favor, you're going to find that. If you're looking for good, you'll find it. If you're looking for bad, you'll find it. And Ahab was looking for, for bad. He was looking for something negative. He was looking for an opportunity to turn his face to the wall and be upset at somebody and be a pouty little kid about not getting his way. So if you look for an opportunity to do that, you'll, you'll find the opportunity. You'll find something to be upset about. But if you have true internal peace and confidence in your relationship with God, you won't seek out those things. You won't have those, those mood swings that we see characterized by those who don't have that peace inside. In James chapter 4, and verse 17, we see the concept of cognitive dissonance. Of course, this is not a, a biblical term, but it's a term that I think is really interesting. Uh, defined as psychological conflict resulting from incongruous or inconsistent beliefs and attitudes held simultaneously. I mean, it's described in the Bible as hypocrisy. I mean, that's the, the word used in Scripture to describe this, this thought process, this psychological term. So in James 4 and 17, it says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This passage has always kind of scared me because we kind of, we think about things in terms of there's all these rules, follow the rules, and you'll be okay. But this passage says if you know something good to do and you don't do it, it's sin to you. 
There's a lot of good things that I know I could do. And 99% of them I don't do. You know, I've been listening to a lot of uh, uh, podcasts about um, combating human trafficking. And there's these guys that that they just, they give up everything. They lose everything to just go and fight human trafficking, to go and save kids, to go and and, uh, combat those traffickers. And they don't worry about anything else. They take care of their families to the best of their abilities, and they go and fight for that cause. I'm like, man, what would stop me from being that guy? And, and that's just an example of one good thing that we could go out and do. There's so many opportunities to spread the gospel that we encounter. Every person that you speak to, every, every person that you meet, whether they're a Christian or not, you have an opportunity to spread the gospel or reinforce their belief in the gospel, reinforce their faith, encourage someone. How often do you do that? How often do I do, I do that? I, I miss a lot of opportunities to help and encourage people. And so this passage has always scared me because it's so open-ended. It's just whatever you see that you know is a good thing to do and you don't do it, if you're convicted to pursue something good and you don't do it, then that's sin to you. And that can take away our peace as well when we know that there's something that we should be doing, know that there's something that we should pursue, but then that we don't pursue. And we see an example of this in the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 21 through 22. It says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and he asked the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Do you think he wanted an answer to that question? I think he might have had a a hint of doubt that maybe that answer was not going to be the answer that he wanted. I think he legitimately asked this question wanting the answer from Christ. He asked Jesus, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And he wanted the answer to that. He really wanted to know. But when Jesus answered the question and said that what was standing between him and heaven was selling everything that he had and giving to the poor, he went away sorrowful because he was unwilling to go to that extent. He was, he was unwilling to go that far to get to heaven, to obtain eternal life. And so you see him with the intention, with the hope to obtain eternal life. He, he really did want it. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Even people that don't believe in God want to go to heaven. There's people that say, you know, if, if there's an afterlife, I hope we get the good side. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Even people that don't believe in heaven want to go to heaven. This man wanted to go to heaven. He just didn't want it bad enough. So that when Jesus answered his question, he said, I'm not willing to go that far. And he went away sorrowful. He, he didn't have peace inside. Do you think this guy lost a lot of sleep over that? You bet he did. Because he asked Jesus a simple question, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Jesus answered his question, and he said, I'm not willing to do what you asked me. This guy wanted heaven. But then he didn't do what it took to get there. So he had this cognitive dissonance, this hypocrisy of not following through with the conviction that he had inside. And that'll take away your peace faster than anything. So what do we do to achieve peace? What do we do on the other side to alleviate these issues and find peace inside? One thing that we can do, or a few things that we can do, is be optimistic, pray, and have gratitude. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. 
The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How does this peace of God guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus? How does this work? Well, guess what? I don't know. And this passage says that I don't know, and you don't know. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's something that we can't really comprehend how it works, but we can still receive it. And when you make your your requests known to God, when you show your gratitude to God through prayer, when you call out to Him and lay your cares at His feet, you receive that peace. You don't understand how you get it, but you receive that peace. If you pray in earnest. I've, I've caught myself at times before praying, thinking, I don't know if this, this prayer thing really works. I don't know if I'm going to really get peace from this. And so I'm not believing in what I'm doing. I'm just saying words. I'm saying the things I've heard since I was a little kid that you're supposed to say when you pray. And then I'm like, well, I knew it. I didn't get peace. I wasn't looking for peace. I was looking to say some words and check the box and say, I prayed and I didn't get peace, so what am I supposed to do? I guess I'll just be stuck in this position of of no peace and anxiety and fear and worry about stuff. Well, that's what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for peace. I wasn't looking to actually pray in earnest and express my cares and concerns to God. But when we pray in earnest and we really give our thanksgiving and our supplications, our requests to God, we will receive the peace that belongs to God. Peace belongs to God. You can look for it for, from anything else. You can look for it in all these earthly sources that we think might give us peace. Great success, accolades, the, the praise of someone else. But peace belongs to God, and you will only receive it when you turn to Him. In Psalm chapter 4 and verse 8, it shows us that if we trust in God, we'll receive peace. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Remember that passage we read earlier where these people just said peace and safety when they were thinking about the coming of Christ, but they didn't actually have peace and safety because they hadn't been reconciled to God? David actually had peace and safety because he had a relationship with God. And so when he said peace and safety, it actually meant something because God offers peace and safety, but you can't just say it and it be true. David had a relationship with God and a communication with God that allowed him to have a true peace and safety and a confidence because he trusted in God as his source of strength and protection rather than himself and his own successes and his own pursuits. And so David had a true peace and safety that we can have as well. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it talks about confession of sins as a source of receiving peace. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This again is is a source of peace that we can't really understand. Uh, I don't really know how it works that when you verbally say something that you've done wrong and you get it out in the open, why that makes you feel better. But it does. When you put something out in the open and you, you clear your conscience of something you've been hiding, you feel better. You, you receive peace. Well, guess what? That's the peace of God that passes all understanding. You don't know how you get it. You don't know how it works, but you receive peace when you confess those things to God and and confess them to the people around you. And so this is a source of great peace and comfort that we have that's underutilized. We don't use as much as we should. 
So this confession to God is a great source of peace and comfort. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6 through 7, it shows us that peace comes from focusing on spiritual things rather than physical ones. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. We can focus on whatever we want to, physical pursuits of any kind, in search for peace. I receive a certain level of, of peace when I go to the gym. There, there's a certain level of mental clarity that I receive from physical activity. Sometimes sunshine will do it. Just physical activity, outside or not, is really helpful for me. But is that my source of, of true peace? Is that my source of comfort? Is that my source of security? Sometimes I feel like it is, but it's not. The, the gym's not good enough. The gym's not good enough to give you true peace. That kind of endorphin release is not good enough to give you true peace, eternal peace. Some people find peace or confidence or comfort in physical success, in rising on the ladder of their profession. Some people find it in being a successful spouse or parent. People find it in so many different places, or they seek it in so many different places. But you're never going to find that true peace that comes only from God when you seek it from physical sources. The only way that you're going to find that true peace is, is, is when you relinquish your control of your life and you trust in God. You trust in God as the source of that peace, the source of that comfort, and you give your life to Him. That's the only way that you're going to find true peace, is in a spiritual and eternal focus. In another psalm, he says, Be still and know that He is God. We need more of those moments where we're just still. And we just remember and we consider the fact that He is God. I don't have enough stillness in my life. And part of that is I'm trying to find peace by inoculating myself with a lot of noise, a lot of activities. If I stay busy, then I don't have to actually stop and think about the very real possibility that I'm a failure and that I've messed stuff up. And the more stuff I have going on and the busier I am, the less I have to think about those disturbing realities of my life. But, but also, the fewer opportunities I have to sit still and know that He's God, know that I serve a God that's greater than myself, find that spiritual and eternal focus rather than the physical. So we need to incorporate stillness and quiet in our lives and take the opportunities to have this spiritual focus because that's where true peace comes from. Last passage I want to look at this morning shows us the simplicity of success when we follow Christ. Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28, it says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This may seem like an odd place to end this study. This is where I like to end a lot of my studies because this is such a powerful passage to explain to us our role as Christians. Like I mentioned before, we, we get caught up in the rat race of always seeking greater success, greater accolades, greater monetary security, greater success as a member of our families, uh, again, as a spouse or a parent or, or whatever role we're trying to fill, greater success professionally, 
a better appearance, greater success physically in uh, athletics or different things like that. We, we have so many different things we're trying to find peace and success and comfort in. Why not do this the easy way? Like, like Jesus has explained how we find peace and how we find confidence and how we become truly great. And it's a lot simpler than the way we're trying to get it. We can fight our whole lives tooth and nail to try to be great and try to be successful and try to find peace our own way. Or we can just actually listen to what Jesus is saying, which is, if you want to be great in my kingdom, if you want to be in a good position spiritually, if you want to have eternal, internal peace, then be a servant. As long as it's about you, you'll never have peace. As long as you're focused on your own need for peace, you'll never have peace. But when you take the focus off of yourself and you learn to truly look to God and serve Him and look to those around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and serve them, and you learn to be a minister, it's, it's simple. It's easy. It's a simple lifestyle. And it doesn't involve this chaos of searching for the next thing that's going to find you some, some form of, of peace or security in the next earthly pursuit that you can find. It doesn't involve that fear that you're never going to find it. You're never going to figure it out. You're never going to find what your thing is. There's so many people that are in their 50s or 60s that'll, that'll joke about, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what I'm going to do when I grow up too. Well, that's funny. But at the same time, if you're still looking for that thing, you're still looking in the wrong place. Why not stop looking in all the wrong places for peace and safety and security and look instead to the simple solution that God has given us to just be servants and ministers in His kingdom, to stop focusing on ourselves and start focusing on Him and start focusing on our brothers and sisters in Christ and we'll find true peace. We'll find that stillness. We'll find that quiet that we're seeking through Him rather than all the other things that we pursue. If you're struggling to find peace, if you're struggling to find quiet, if you have chaos in your mind, I know, I know how you feel. You know, we all have those moments where we feel like there's just a lot of chaos in our lives. There's a lot of noise in our minds. And, and that can be difficult to, to control and difficult to get through. So if you're struggling to find peace, we want to help you to find that. We want to help you to find it through, through the true source. God is the owner of peace. God is the author of peace. So if you want to find it through Him rather than the other sources that would claim to have it or claim to offer it, we want to help you this morning. Or if you haven't become a Christian yet and you need to, to take that step, that's where the ultimate source of peace is, is an eternal confidence that, that you really do have peace and safety. So if you want to be baptized this morning or if you need to be taught the gospel more thoroughly, we want to do that for you. If you need any assistance from the church this morning, please come while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.